City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Okay, City Limits is on the air. I haven't got my headphones on, but I'm sure we're on air. I can hear, can't hear myself, but now I can. Andy's putting his what thumbs up. So that's right, yes, all's well. Um, well, Andy's so, so confident, and in fact, um, Andy Britt. You, Andy, you, this morning you're um, you're obviously here, so you're not doing the tech for um, Joe's extravaganza. No, I don't know. Like Whoever I'm doing the live cross, so I haven't heard... Right, uh, I'm going to be sat here at the end of this show, so right. I suppose. So. Well, the next program, of course, Joe's doing a special because is it his 20th anniversary? He says 40th. 40th, 40th, 40th. Yeah. Of the oh, show. Like, gee, that's, might, we 40, might be able to really? guess how old yeah. he is then. Yeah, yeah. Old, yeah, we, yeah that's, he calls us old. Yeah. Well, you know, me anyway, not you. Um, but but they're doing their show from the um, Unitarian Church where I was yesterday actually at a funeral um, for Cedric Coxedge and the tributes showed I think what a wonderful 92 years of life he had and uh, so we had that uh, that yesterday Mm. at the same venue but um and the other voice of course is um megan kimber meg kimber welcome back Um, morning i imagine i mentioned to you last week of course um the w word andy and try and (laughs) try not to collapse again but um (laughs) she actually meg actually had work last week now so this week i suspect after that Every now and again, keep an eye on her in case she's not at off or something because it does see not if I'm all right if I'm yeah, not traumatized. I might <laughs> even have work tomorrow. <laughs> so. oh, he said the full word, you know. <laughs> so we'll just see what happens oh, next week. I'll keep you informed. Eh? This place is getting serious. Who's going to be programming all the shows? Now, I'm going to pour some tea, but I've got an awful mission to make. Me, I, I got here and realised I've forgotten to put the tea in my bag. This is an ordinary tea bag of tea. Oh, Do, you want no. this? Do you want this or not? I will anyway. But Okay. Under sufferance. Yes. Yeah. So, and I didn't bring any milk in in case you like milk in ordinary tea, but no, anyway, that's fine. there you are. Thanks. So, what, a, what an oversight that was. But um, not an oversight on the program because it's the third Wednesday of the month and it's a, a housing day. And we're going to be talking to Howard Morosi um, in about 10 minutes or so um, about a meeting we referred to last week, which was held um, Thursday before last, two weeks tomorrow. Um, of a number of groups got together with unions, etc., to organise a, a campaign around this issue we've been talking about, the government handing over a number of public housing estates to the private sector and, uh, in, the yeah. end, in the end, the private sector gaining from it, of course, and the public sector losing. And Howard will update us on what the campaign's going to do and what it's about. That'd be interesting. Yep, and, we'll, and he will then blend into... Um, the Housing for the Aged Action Group's normal segment because someone from there, April Bragg or, or um, Jeff Fiedler, one of them will be coming in. They weren't sure yesterday which one, but uh, Jeff did go to that meeting on their behalf as well. So we'll probably continue it over a bit and have a joint discussion and then go on with stuff about the Housing for the Aged and how they're getting on and how housing is getting on. So there we are. Meg, anything you wanted to... Uh, Interesting. Well, I don't know what's been happening, what the Herald Sun's been reporting on. 
this week, sorry. Mm. But I do know um, this weekend a very wonderful event happened, which I got to go to, which was the mm. Guildford Banjo Jamboree. Oh. Yeah. Mm. So uh, maybe the Herald Sun had something in there about it. I but don't think it, it did. was an amazing community event and so much fun and a real testament to that community. Do you play the banjo? I do, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it was a very. Intimidating and educational experience for Nancy me. Nancy Atkins, who uh, does a bit of work on this station, has done in the past. She's, oh. she's, I think it's a banjo she plays. I it, should find, yeah. uh, find yeah. her and yeah. talk to her. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, very good. So you had a good weekend. Yeah. Good yep. food. And it's a nice part of the country. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. Okay. Well, speaking of the Herald Sun, um, People might know, and I know that when I walked in this morning, Andy was looking very, very upset uh, because we know that last week Nigel Hedgekiss, the head of the um, Australian Building and Construction Jackboots Commission, um, he got uh, he got out it because he'd been telling people a law that was his law. It wasn't actually the law for a number of times. Mm. And so he was forced to resign. And it's also been made known that the Minister, Michaelia Cashew, as we keep repeating, is a former was a partner of um, Freehills, the big anti-worker law firm in this country before she became Minister for Industrial Relations. So it's a fine, fine leap, and she knew about it for a year before um, this. But when it became public, poor old Nigel had a go. And he's got, but they're giving him a few weeks to to transform and, and get over it and transfer to the next get person. Get a job somewhere else. Yeah, and sort himself yeah. out. Um, and uh, you know he he were, he well he knew that the law should have been much tighter than it was, so he just made it up, which was very clever of him, I think. Interesting. Uh, yeah, good old good old Nige. Yeah. But that story in the Herald Sun got one, two, three, six paragraphs at the bottom of a page, and it's buried beneath what was a double page spread, continuing from page one. Sensation, sensation, corruption in the in the Labor government in Victoria, mm. scandal to shake ALP, etc., etc. So all this stuff about the ALP and the little one, the one about the government watchdog, who's been who hates unions and hates workers, having to resign because he he broke his own law, and the minister knowing for twelve months and doing nothing about it. Uh, Twelve paragraphs down the bottom here mm. of this inside page. Now, I, as I've said, I, I believe that had that been a Labor state minister giving information to unions about the law not being mm. what it was mm-hmm. and letting them break the law mm-hmm. and, a, and a minister, state minister here of the, of the Andrews government knowing about it for 12 months, that too, I think, under Rupert Murdoch's guidelines would have got the same coverage down here and not <laughs> yeah. page one with spread everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you used yeah. to work for the newspapers, didn't you? I did. I worked for Rupert Murdoch for <laughs> seven years. How do they? How do they decide? Like, mm. if there's an agenda in how they decide, how do they decide where to put things and tell people where to put them? Do you mm. know what I mean? Is when, it the editors? Well, you, to get to that point, you've got to be a conservative person in the first. To get to that yeah. level of, of, of being of, in charge. the Herald Sun yeah. or the Australian, you've got to be. You've got to have that mindset, and they know what Rupert wants them to do, and so they do it essentially. Yeah. And. Uh, and yeah, and they sit there and and cynically decide how they're going to treat stories and how they're going to you know make the left look bad and the right look good, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, yeah. But on the same point, um, over in um, over in the in, in Britain, at the moment, um, we've got um, we, we've got a situation where Murdoch, who who runs um, Fox, of course, but also has a has an interest in in Sky News, but he is trying to increase his, his he wants to make a takeover, so he actually runs Sky absolutely, and everything seemed to be going swimmingly until the media secretary and don't forget they've got a conservative government. Curran Bradley's the name, the media secretary. 
um, said she uh, now wants regulators to scrutinise the increased influence Murdoch could gain from fully owning Sky um, and said they should also examine whether he had a genuine commitment to broadcasting standards. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch, isn't that disgraceful? It'd be interesting As to if. hear what those results show. Yes, she mm. said, I consider it important that ent- entities which adopt controversial or partisan approaches to news and current affairs in other jurisdictions should at the same time have a genuine commitment to broadcasting standards here. And it's been pointed out that... Um, that his uh, his own network, Fox, has uh, been rocked by a series of sexual mm. harassment and discrimination lawsuits leading to high profile resignations, etc., etc. So, and and but but Rupert said it was disappointing because they the independent regulator had said it was okay to go ahead with the takeover, but of course, mostly in these areas, independent regulators are usually appointed by the the people who want them to be mm. independent. Mm. If you get the drift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there we are. Um, that's in yeah. England, was it? That's that's it? England, yeah. yeah he's he's gonna move in good old thing. But on, on and the other the other of course morning paper, although that family isn't that involved now, but um of course we call on the week that was we call it the Spencer Street, no longer Spencer Street, Fairfax. <laughs> but the Fairfax family that ran um ran the age and the 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 their stable is the age and the Finn Review essentially. I'm gonna have a sip of tea, hang on. Mm. Ah. Um, poor Lady Mary Fairfax died this week at age 95. Um, yeah. And she was one of the leading socialites in Sydney in particular. Um, and um, everyone, there was a big social event she was involved in. She donated so much to St Vincent's Foundation and, and all these charities she, she made donations to. A wonderful woman, officer of the Order of the British Empire, um, member of the Order of Australia, a great family. Uh, and she um, she ranked um, 104th on the last um, BRW Rich List, um, coming in at 518 million personal wealth. Wow, um, 104th of that wealth. Yes, 104th, uh, listed as property investor. That was her income. Uh, but a bit I wanted to comment on, she became famous for her multi-page Christmas cards sprinkled with family photographs and maxims such as, and this is a beautiful maxim, I think, jealousy is the last resort of the insecure. Oh. And I would have thought with eight hundred, with 518 in the bank and all your property, you probably do feel fairly secure. Yeah, <laughs> other people around you might yeah. be jealous. So I, I think she was fairly, fairly... It's fairly safe from feeling insecure. Um, a multi-page Christmas card is pretty much a Christmas book, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. And I'm sure everyone was That's thrilled gonna... to get pictures of her family. <laughs> I'm going to do that next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the old lady. Yep, and where she's gone off. Um, away she went. Uh, meanwhile, though, on a much more serious topic, uh, not that the death of Lady Fairfax isn't a serious topic, as you would understand, mm-hmm. Meg. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. going to... Also put some more tea in this. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. What more tea are you enjoying? This, this, this. Um, no, fine, no, thank no, you. I, I can understand that. Um, uh, we just uh, the latest figures came out this week, and we had our hottest winter on record, with temperatures up by two degrees Celsius on average. And 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 according to the Climate Council, um, it's it's the uh, it's obviously related to climate change. Uh, and they go on, and uh, Leslie 
use. We've had a, we've had Leslie on this program, ec- mm. ecologist Professor Leslie. We maybe get her back and talk about this. That would be interesting. Uh, yeah, the um, it's the, the she says without any meaningful action to tackle climate change, we'll continue to see many more hot winters just like this as global temperatures rise. We must take meaningful action to strongly reduce Australia's that's a split infinitive reduce Australia's Australia's emissions from fossil fuels. The current situation in which the government continues to not only rely um, to delay real action to reduce emissions, but is actively supporting further development of coal-fired, etc., etc. And it's interesting that the, the body that brought that out, that she's speaking for, the Climate Council, was formed by a crowdfunding campaign in 2013 after Tony Abbott abolished the Climate Commission. So uh, the, mm. the body that would have told us that, the federal body, has been abolished, and so it has to be a group that was funded by mm. other people. Yeah. Um, also last week, Scott Morrison attacked, and uh, there was a, there were shots of it in the corridors of the ABC or Parliament House near the ABC office. Um, he attacked Joel Fitzgibbon, the Labor MP, who is the local member for where the Liddell power station is that the government wants to keep open. And uh, they at that time, uh, Morrison said that that. Um, Fitzgibbon was betraying his constituents by not backing the extension because all the workers there wanted to work, etc., etc. Well, you'd be pleased to know that a a survey has shown that um, that the people around the voters around the power station are already looking beyond coal to cleaner power sources and tend to blame the federal government for the current state of energy policy. All but a few believing pressuring AGL to keep its ageing power station operating is the wrong way to go, and it goes on. But in fact, around even around the plant itself, the vast majority of people say we should be moving toward renewable energy and closing down places like Liddell. And I mm, guess if mm. you live around it, it might be very nice to have jobs. I mean, they certainly need to have situations where those people can get other jobs mm. and, and do a transformation program. Mm. But uh, they also, of course, cop all that bloody pollution, etc. Mm. So, yeah. well, it's time for a plebiscite on um, climate change and the environment, and that would be a useful thing to get everybody's yeah. you know opinion on because... Pretty clear how people feel, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just on that, you'll be pleased to know that the government, you know, one of its big efforts is, and this is really going to change things for everybody. The government has said that that people will, um, that um, the government has said, what am I trying to say? The government has said that the power no companies, right? that's right, the bloody <laughs> tea, the power, the power companies have to send out all these letters to people to tell them uh, why they're getting ripped off. Oh. Uh, yeah. Now, you keep getting ripped off. Because of you, capitalism. Well, yeah, it's like right. one word. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They could just do it. They could send out a general letter. They could just send they? a text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, they, so I think it's a, it's a great solution to the fact that we're all being ripped off. They tell you you're being ripped off, so you know it. Well, we know it anyway, but we'll know why, apparently. Mm. They'll tell us why they're ripping us off. But they're saying because they've got to send it out and it's going to be very costly, the power companies are saying they'll have to pass on the costs of doing that to the users. So, in fact, what Howard says, what not Howard's his name, Turnbull says, is going to reduce our costs, will in fact increase them because the companies say we've got to, we can't bear the cost yeah. of that, so etc. So Postage is very yes. expensive now. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, isn't it terrible? <laughs> yeah. 
So there you are. And on, on such things as uh, that, there's currently, and we're all so excited about it, a, a, an election in New Zealand taking place. Oh. And there's some suggestion that the young woman who became the new, well, she's young by my standards, 38 or something, um, Jacinda Ardern, who became leader and, and turned everything around in terms of where the polls were in New Zealand, and now it's running head and head. Uh, but she came under it, not so much under attack, but um, this, it's sort of a, a, an attack on her. Uh, an article that said, um, Jacinda, Jacinda Ardern might be all sweetness and light, but the new Kiwi Labor leader is running a campaign subtly pin- pitching two New Zealands against each other. This is a dreadful thing. Make you hear what she's done. <laughs> those who have done well under national and those that feel left behind. It's a gap between... Wait for it, rich and poor. But also, despite Miss Ardern's protestations, which asked directly between rural and urban. So, how dare in an election campaign you raise the question of rich and poor? And, and the people who haves like the current nots. government and the people who don't. Yes, yeah. haves and have nots. My God, Pretty isn't it? It's getting revolutionary, out of, really. Elections is getting out of hand, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> what do they think of next? Oh, no, no, well, you might even start getting policies, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. In- can't even imagine that. No, no. We, we were talking in the kitchen before while I was making the tea and suddenly when I was, I was late getting in here, um, we are making, what, what were they called, tea, this stuff we're drinking. Um, I was, we were saying that uh, with, the, um, with the poll coming up, um, you know, it's really great to see that uh, with that $122 million we're spending mm-hmm. on that poll, mm-hmm. that one of the really good things about it is that at the end... Um, if if it says yes, then they'll go to the vote mm-hmm. they wouldn't have before. Before, so mm-hmm. isn't that wonderful? Yeah. yeah, good good use of funds and yeah, shocking situation. Yes, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so there we are, and uh, well then again, that's Tony Abbott again. And he has said overnight, by the way, also he's going to, he'll cross the floor. He'll actually cross the floor if the government tries to bring in a. Um, a renewable energy target, a, uh, a, yeah, uh, yeah, because I mean we know that's all so right. bad. That's bad for everybody, isn't it? <laughs> Look, let's stop all this nonsense and we'll we'll have a yarn to uh, Howard Morosi about housing issues. You got to remember, Nanop's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! Okay, on the line, Howard Morosi from Friends of Public Housing. And Howard, um, last Thursday week there was a meeting of a number of people, including unions, um, I think held at a union office, in fact, wasn't it? Uh, to look at this campaign and to look at the current government's attempts to hand over, as we've talked about before, public housing to the private sector and tell us we're getting more public housing out of it somehow. Um, how did the meeting go? Uh, it went well. Um, 
that's about all I can say about it because I wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pyjama pants this morning because um, I haven't well, had a chance I think, to... I think, I think our next guest was there. He'll be able to fill in the gaps a bit, but yeah. Yeah, I'll be listening very ardently. Um, but I know it went well, and I know it was well attended, and uh, the, there's a lot of momentum there. They're still building the connections to the union movement, which is obviously very important. Um, it included not just union unionists, but... Um, uh, obviously, public housing activists and also uh, people from the legal centres, um, and that's actually um, a really good development in the whole campaign. Uh, the um, community legal centres are now getting involved uh, to give advice to the tenants and also to the public housing activists. They turned up to the Grand Place meeting, the West Brunswick public housing estate meeting recently, which was organised by Friends of Public Housing mm. and the Socialist Alliance. Uh, and actually, I would recommend to listeners to listen to uh, Solidarity Breakfast podcast of it from Saturday the 2nd of September. Uh, I think it was Matt Wilson, something like Matt Wilson, the, one of the um, legal officers, gave a really good um, explanation of you know, you know, what the rights are and and how uh, public housing has been so neglected over the years to the point where we almost had um, a similar situation to the Grenfell um, mm. fires. Uh, obviously not the planning, but there was there were serious fires at one of the estates and um, the government's done nothing to address the problem there. Um, so that was Saturday the 2nd of September, mm. Solidarity Breakfast. You'll also hear some really passionate comments by uh, some of the local residents from West Brunswick um, who are really determined to fight this um, and that really gives us campaigners a lot of heart to know that you know we're going to actually be able to support people who want to stand up for themselves and it includes a great woman called Maimon who's a Salami, Somali yeah. um, and uh, she um, it was fantastic you know her um, her talk was moving, it was inspiring. Um, you know, she talked about her, uh, how, how she had to actually had to leave Somalia and leave behind everything she had there and she doesn't want to do it again. So mm. they feel like they're being made into refugees again. Mm. Yeah, I heard that and it was, I thought you agree she was quite wonderful and it was also encouraging because I know in previous campaigns, for instance, when we were trying to stop the City Link, um, a lot of the, the new arrivals who lived in those high-rise flats in Flemington where it goes past uh, were weary to come out because they weren't sure about our political situation or whether they should be able to speak in their new country. But it was great to hear mm. her come out and say what she said. Yeah, and, and there's actually a much larger group at uh, Flemington as well. Uh, they've actually been organising their own themselves uh, and uh, building up their own contingent there. And... Um, that's great as well. That's also cross cultures, um, and so that well, actually the other thing that's coming up, um, there's now a coalition of groups working on on the issue. Uh, so you've got Friends of Public Housing, you've got the Australian Greens putting a lot of um, effort into it, uh, Socialist Alliance with Sue Bolton, Socialist Alternative with Steph Price, Defend and Extend Public Housing, and also the Legal Centres are working as one coalition with local public housing residents. Um, to um, have an ongoing campaign and we've got a big rally coming up on Sunday the 15th of October at 1pm at Debney's Park, Mount Alexander Road in, in Flemington. Um, it's called Celebrate and Defend Public Housing. Mm. Right, that's, that's important and it is important, I, I think, I didn't get to that meeting either, but I, 
I, I think uh, it's critically important that the the people who live in the places, um, you know, really be really come out and, and express how they feel about the whole issue. Yeah, they're, they're, and, and they're so important to the campaign. Yeah, resisting the evictions is a crucial thing, and we think we're going to we've got a good chance of being able to make that happen. Uh, there's a few other developments as well. Um, the ASU, the Australian Services Union, has set up a group, a union group, to do with housing. Uh, that's just in its early stages, and uh, I'll be part of that, and hopefully I'll be able to achieve some sort of commitment to um, public housing through that. Um, uh, there's a working group to do with the West Brunswick Grand Place development as well, if people are interested. Um, and I'll be speaking at the Unitarian Church about public housing on Sunday the 1st of October at 11am. Uh, and the other thing is Darabin Council has been very active, mainly through uh, Trent McCarthy, the Australian Greens councillor, mm-hmm. uh, who's also part of our working group. Um, Darabin Council recently put through a resolution, a unanimous resolution, so it included the ALP, mm-hmm. uh, supporting public housing residents and calling for a staged upgrade and not demolitions uh, in, um, in, in the Northcote estate. Mm. Uh, so, in fact, they're directly opposed to um, what their own party's doing mm. at the state level. That's really interesting. Um, there's a lot of groups getting together and, and um, that obviously gives a lot of power to the movement. What What are the aims that, that everyone's... Does everybody agree on what the, the main um, aims are? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've got agreement. No to the selling off of public housing land Yeah. because that's one of the big parts of the agenda of the state government at the moment. They want to sell off three quarters of uh, the land on which the walk-ups, which they're going to demolish. Mm. They're going to sell off three quarters of the land to private developers. And the other quarter, uh, they won't actually say it, but they're going to hand over Mm. um, the the, uh, rebuilt uh, government uh, housing, or the, Mm. the, 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 sorry, the housing on which the government land stands, they're going to hand it over to the community housing sector mm. and it won't be run as public housing. Mm. Um, as well, they're going to replace mainly three-bedroom and two-bedroom units with one and two-bedroom units. So mm. they talk about a 10% increase um, mm. in the uh, what's going to be community housing anyway, but they talk about a 10% increase, which is true. It's a 10% increase in the number of units, but the number of residents that it'll hold might only be half. Uh, of what currently is there. So opposition to the sale of public housing land, mm. a significant increase in public housing um, and uh, no to handovers um, of, the, um, of the public housing for community housing mm. is across the board with all our groups and we're building momentum. Mm. And, you know, like uh, the East West Link was stopped uh, because of the political significance of those inner city seats um, we believe we're building up enough momentum now to be able to uh, bring about a similar political uh, situation, mm. um, you know, where the government can actually lose seats to the Greens, and mm. you know that gives us a good chance of stopping it. Yeah, Howard, we saw this. What I'm about to say in the redevelopment of the Rathdown Street with by a private sector, uh, where the the private and, and public were divided, and the the private got the prime view. And in an article by Clay Lucas in the Age um, the other day. 
he says that at the Ashburton redevelopment, residents, um, the public housing will be rebuilt on one corner of the site, while private housing will take up most of the space that was once entirely dedicated to housing the disadvantaged. Residents in private housing will get views of an adjoining river and golf course, while those in the public estate will be next to the street. So it's the old story by the sound of it. Yeah, that seems to be the model they're using. And, you know, it's, it's talking about maximising profit. Obviously, you're going to maximise profit if the stuff you're selling off has got the best views mm. and, uh, you know, and has more space. And actually, if it's walled off from the um, public housing tenants, which is what they did in Carlton as well, you know, and Kate Shaw, as, as we talked about recently, mm. Kate Shaw came out and said, well, you know, all this stuff about mix, mixing... And just let people housing. know, we've dropped the name, Kate's a researcher at Melbourne who um, looks into these issues, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, so Kate talked about the fact that the government... Uh, rationale of um, you know breaking down ghettos you know like one one or two buildings in, in a smaller state is somehow a ghetto um, that that rationale is actually a false rationale because um, they don't actually mix them anyway they keep them separate and they actually they actually create ghettos instead of uh, mm. instead of you know breaking down what is actually a, a working community anyway and in response to this of course the former public housing estate worker and now Minister for Housing, Martin Foley, said, quote, the government made no apology for providing more social housing. He said the government would encourage the Liberal and Green Alliance trying to block the program to get out of the way and let us get on with the job of helping more Victorians in need. Are you trying to stop him helping more Victorians in need, Howard? Uh, well, if what he said was true, I would be, but unfortunately what he's saying is not true. Um, so we're actually, we are actually, he's actually trying to reduce the number of people in, um, in the sector and he's trying to push them away from public housing into the social housing sector where they don't want to go. If you turn up to a meeting, um, a public housing meeting, you speak to a public housing tenant, they will know, they will tell you, they know what the, what the game is because it's their neck on the line. They don't want to go over community housing because it's more expensive it's less secure, and they cherry-pick. Um, and Foley knows that. He just won't come out and say it. And unfortunately, I must say, Clay Lucas uh, has had plenty of opportunity to actually to state those three basic facts about the difference between community housing and public housing, and he won't say it. So as far as I'm concerned, Fairfax Media is just marginally better than the other media in terms of mainstream, in terms of giving a, a, a balanced presentation of the issue to allow people to make up their own minds. Instead, Clay Lucas actually makes up readers' minds for them and, and keeps the truth from them. Indeed, I, 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 I regard it as insidious, The Age, because the, the Herald Sun is at least openly right-wing. Um, the Age tries to, you know, portrays itself as something I believe it isn't, but that's, that's, that's another question. But indeed, what annoys me about his articles... Um, is that he, he makes the point developers that succeed in buying a site off the government will have to rebuild the existing public housing with at least 10% additional dwellings for the poor. And later on he talks about have to rebuild the existing housing for the poor. He keeps calling people in public housing the poor all the mm. time, and that, that really annoys me. Yeah, well, as I say, it's not even being rebuilt. I mean, the fact is, if, if they stayed in public housing, they would be looking after the poor, but they are not looking after the poor because they're getting rid of the public housing. Mm. And he won't say that. Clay Lucas, I don't think I've ever seen him say that in all the articles he's written. 
Yeah, an April break from the House of Age Action Group just walked into the studio. She hasn't even sat down yet, so she's going to be really hassled when we say say something, April. Um, morning. morning, everyone. Have you been listening to things we've been talking about? Uh, yeah, in between taking phone calls about work. Uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful right. thing, um, yes. Bluetooth. She, Sorry, but yes, I did. I, she, I she heard got some the other... W word again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> God, this program's getting out of hand. I know. Um, <laughs> any comment on what we've been talking about? Um, just that it's um, fantastic that there are so many um, people and groups coming together now to, um, uh, you know, as the slogan says, defend and extend public yeah. housing. Um, because really what's being proposed is probably the last, particularly the, any of the medium, medium density um, stock that we that we have left. Yeah. Um, after so much of it, it's been transferred over um you know, probably in the last 15 years. Uh, and but the, Jeff Feeder from your group went to that meeting, didn't he? So we're now talking yeah. to two people about a meeting who weren't there. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right. It's, it's but I've, 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 I've since um, <laughs> met with um, Marion Harper and uh, Lou Wheeler. Mm. Um, uh, Marion Harper, of course, the Unitarian Church, yes. and Lou Wheeler is with um, friends, what's uh, pensioners, what's it called? Fair for pensioners. Fair go for pensioners, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, we certainly, um, uh, yeah, and um, formally... Um, signing on as part of um, you know that that coalition um, to to campaign for the retention of public housing. Yep. yep. Okay. And, How it, any... and extending it as well. Build more of it for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, and of course, public's the key word because yes. even the, even the other all the articles talk talking about social and community housing. They seem to have yeah. dropped the word public altogether. Um, Howard, that's you know we've talked about that before, but the fact that they just no longer really talk about public housing at all is a worry, isn't it? Yeah. And that's deliberate, and that's actually that was actually put through in in the form of um, legislation by the Andrews government to actually stop referring to um, public housing versus social housing. So it's it's all legally now referred to as social housing. So you can't actually tell yeah. the diff- what's actually community or social housing versus public housing. Mm. Wow. And of course, two two very different beasts in in the way that they. Um, operate and particularly in terms of um, for for tenants as well in, in regards to um, the the different rights that they have um, under under both systems. Mm. And we've recently seen moves by the private sector to talk about building for rent, building strictly just for rent. But they're they're seeing therefore the future rental market as yeah. being critical to their profits. But it does indicate, in fact, there's going to be more and more need for public housing, I would suggest, because there's going to be more and more people who need rental accommodation. And, Absolutely. And, and won't be able to afford it in the private sector. Yeah, and if we've been, as we've been talking about for, for, for decades now with, um, you know, the reduction in, in public housing, but also for, for, you know, younger people with um, less employment conditions and um, being able to secure long-term jobs and... Um, mm. And, and the like, and also being paid less wages, wages have eroded, that they are going to be renters. Um, and with property prices going, going up, there's no way that ordinary working people are going to be able to get into the housing mm. market. Mm. Howard, anything to add before we uh, get rid of you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I should uh, acknowledge April's um, uh, role in all this because uh, it was about a year ago when uh, I was on this program with April and April mentioned that the government had a plan to get rid of three quarters of public housing and that was actually the catalyst for um, defending extent. So Joe Toscano got Tipsy involved um, at that point and he then got the Greens back um, 
on track and back involved in public housing. And then that has now snowballed into um, the other the socialist groups getting involved. So it was April's that one comment on this program. So thanks to you as, as well, Kevin, um, that actually got... <laughs> I was just here. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, April. And I'll see you again one day, hopefully, at one of these rallies. Yeah, very but, soon, I'd say. <laughs> but, no, it's really good that people like April can actually speak out and they're not just telling the government line. And um, the fact that HAG was able to um, weather the storm um, recently and survive and you know and keep going is, is testament to the fact that people should speak out and speak out in favour of what's right and what's true. Yeah. Uh, so thanks a lot, April. <laughs> thanks, okay. Howard, for the recognition. Thanks, Howard. Just, just repeat the date of that rally you talked about. So the, the big rally is coming up on Sunday the 15th of October at 1pm, Debney's Park, Mount Alexander Road, Flemington. Right, yeah, we'll talk more, of that, more about that in the future, obviously, between now and then. But um, thanks for your time this morning, Howard, and Great. thanks for updating us on a meeting you weren't at. <laughs> and, uh, and thanks for April for telling us about a meeting she wasn't at either. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot, Howard. Okay. Right, yeah. Um, Howard Morosi is from, uh, well, I don't think he's from a fair few groups, but he's from Friends of Public Housing as one. Well, the, the good thing from, from the meeting, though, and I think Howard um, mentioned it, and um, Jeff and Gemma certainly said, what was the presence of, of lawyers through mm. um, the community legal um, centres? I think um, the ones that they mentioned were from Fitzroy. Mm. And certainly in any of the campaigns that we've ever run in, in the past, that was the, the thing that was really lacking and we weren't able to, to secure. So having... Um, them on board as, as a resource, particularly for individual tenants, is a, is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, so we, we thank them for, for getting Im- involved. Um, and al- also, you know, we've, um, we realise that, um, you know, tenants are reluctant to, to get involved, but hearing often just hearing what their legal rights are sort of gives people the, the, the courage to be able to continue on, you know, rather than listening to, mm. you know, housing workers like me going, oh, no, mm. you know, if we resist, we're going to be okay. So that's, that's a really terrific thing. So you're seeing people in the public housing who are facing eviction and don't know what their rights are? Is that what's happening? Or that, that they're seeing that things are changing and well, they don't know a, what's going on? A really complicated process. I, I mean... Um, the last time, um, you know, a few years back when the plan, it, it's, stock's been transferred over the, certainly over the last 15 years when, and from the time that Brian Howe was the Federal Housing Minister, that was the plan for government to get out of the provision of housing. Mm-hmm. And that's when the community housing program was introduced. And it became a very different thing to, to what we know as community housing. The community housing organisations that we knew of that managed communities. Um, stock for the community and we're part of the community is very different to what we have now in terms of the housing associations um, that even though they're not for profit they are for profit and they actually need to to generate profit to mm. expand and they need to expand because government that's the brief they've been given because government isn't going to provide um, any longer so in the recent um, not the current redevelopments but before that when it um, read its ugly head again there were many tenants, um, and particularly from um, Martin Foley's electorate, and so he's the housing minister, um, and particularly, of course, for our group with older tenants, um, particularly concerned about them um, if the stock was transferred to the private providers, what would actually happen to them in terms of their rights of rent? What would their rent be? Nobody ever tells tenants that if your t- um, tenants is transferred. Mm. But particularly for, for some older people were that um, they were living in housing stock where they had raised their, their families and so it had been their homes for, 
you know, some of them 20, 30 years in the Grand Place area over in Kitchener Street. We, we know of a few women over there who have had tenancies of more than 60 years. Wow. Um, living in three-bedroom properties doesn't mean they're not utilising their, their homes, mm. but we know that they'd be under the relocation policy that the department uses through redevelopment or upgrading that those people would be forced into to one bedroom. So people were particularly um, alarmed about what their mm. housing future would be like. Mm. Um, and often that would mean, depending where the one bedroom stock is, that they would be relocated out of their out of their neighbourhoods mm. and out of their areas. And particularly some of the, you know, it, it happens everywhere, you know, Braybrook Mason people live there for you know generations, but particularly in that Port Melbourne, South Melbourne area, there was a real concern mm-hmm. a, about that. So, and mm-hmm. you know Martin's last um, election, um, his um, you know his uh, election promotional material was basically given the guarantee that you know you're not going to be forced out of your homes. That that was on all the the flyers. So mm-hmm. that was a commitment that he had get, given at that time. You know, which now now seems to not be the case. Mm. Yeah, and of course they always say you can come back when it's all done, etc. But that's, yeah. that's a, a promise that uh, you're not too sure of, eh? Yeah, it's probably. Um, I think that the figure was that maybe um, on most redevelopments, probably only thirty percent of people return. Mm. Um, and again, that depends on the way that that you do it. Um, we were involved in the Roberts Street, High Street, Northcote. Um, campaign to actually have the housing um, redeveloped. It was old concrete stock um, in, in absolutely shocking condition and the tenants, of course, wanted um, the estate to be bulldozed and rebuilt. And the danger in that campaign was that it was, um, you know, the government was saying, yeah, for sure, but we knew that it would then probably end up in private hands mm-hmm. or one of the housing associations. So that was a really successful campaign because it was redeveloped as public housing. It was entirely kept as public housing. We ended up with um, more diverse um, stock in terms of bedrooms. Um, it was a really wonderful redevelopment in that it was one. It was the first um, estate that had the 1.5 um, bedrooms. So none of it was just single bedroom stock. So that 0.5 allowed you to have a carer stay over or some people used it as studies, some mm. of the women set it up as sewing rooms and mm. the like. Um, but the really good thing, I think there was probably about an 80% return in that because the consultation process that we worked out um, with the government um, was that tenants all the way along were, were involved in the process and were kept mm. in, it, it updated and in touch almost monthly. Mm. We continue to have the monthly meetings. Mm. Um, and people were involved in, um, you know, to to um, the extent that they could in terms of the layout, so the design, so all that work happened with the architects, um, mm. colours, um, all of that. So there was a real ownership and belonging. People were actually watching mm. their new homes being built. Mm. So so they were invested mm. and, yeah. and it was just, it ended up being a really wonderful redevelopment, mm. wonderful project to be involved in. And to this date, those tenants that were originally there um, and moved back um, have, have remained living there and are very happy. What a great way to build yeah. community. And so if you're going to do people, it, that's, yeah. that's, the way, that's the way redevelopment should actually happen. Mm. And yep. we've stated many times, but if you're you know, freaking older people being moved totally out of the area they've yes. lived in for many years is yes. incredibly disruptive and distressing and stressful. Yeah. And, uh, and, those, and, and those, often, often, often people moved in that situation don't last long. No, that, that, that's right. And the key to that, those kind of projects, 
is to make sure that the tenants um, are actually given the resources to be able to employ whatever they need to be able to resource them to keep them together, but particularly through the relocation process because we we worked really hard to force the department um, to go beyond what their relocation policy said, and generally that's got, that you've got two choices, but um, we worked really hard <laughs> really closely with them to make sure that people remained within a geographical area mm. and then involved the other services that provided su- support to make sure that people could get back to say the neighborhood house um you know at least weekly if if needed and that that was for people that was sort of you know beyond the the 5k so what community transport you provide to people so everyone was committed for people to return to that neighborhood recognizing mm. that and there were very few people that actually except by choice relocated um sort of out outside of mm. the municipality outside mm. of the LGA um, the ones that did had family in other areas, and that was their opportunity to be able to finally, you know, live somewhere that that they were happy with mm-hmm. as well. So, it, but it, you know, it's a lot of work on the ground, but government's got to commit the resources, and it isn't about hiring consultants to, mm. you know, just be <laughs> doing that. They have the people resourcing them need to be employed by the tenants, mm. or or an independent group within that community, but accountable um, and answerable to to tenants. Yeah. I can't really know if you can do it these days. When I was at Fitzroy Council, we had redevelopment. I can't think what it was called in North Fitzroy. There was redevelopment of a housing estate there. Was it Brooks Crescent? Brooks Crescent. Yep. Of course it was. Brooks Crescent. God, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but, but one of the things we, one of the things we achieved was that the council, through a social planning office, would determine who got the reallocation of places when they were when they were ready yep. to be reoccupied. And we, the first preference went to those who'd lived there before, etc. Yeah. So. It was yeah. an important, um, important win at that stage. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can even do it in, in, in an even more, you know, um, close way by knowing everyone that lives on the, on the estate and what their needs are so that when you're doing the architectural plans or the blueprint, you can, all, you can almost – and we did it at um, Barclay Street. Brunswick as well, Kevin, mm. um, with the – you know, when the walk-ups were, were demolished. I mean, while the – um, the blueprints were being drawn up could actually say, well, this is the unit Robin's going to go to and it's mm. over on this part. Mm. So it, it, it was, um, yeah, it was just a, a really fantastic way of doing it. And, you know, and the government always says it takes a lot of resources, but it, it doesn't really and it, and it saves so much stress and angst mm. by everyone because, of course, councils are happy that, you know, they're on board in that process as well rather than everybody meeting individually and you know, trying to struggle against it. It should mm. be an all-encompassing. Yeah. yeah, and Howard mentioned the problems that occurred earlier this year with the Housing with Aged Action Group. Have they settled down? Um, <laughs> well, nearly there, I guess. Um, we, uh, as a result of um, what our previous um, committee of management um, did in their, um, you know, communication with um, particularly Department of Human Services. We have had a service review done on our organisation um, and we're, um, we had to fight for the right to, to reply. to they, Sorry, they hired consultants. Yeah. Um, it was a very quick um, review. It wasn't a thorough review of the service and we found um, what's come back in the report is many of the things that the previous committee um, had um, stated about what was wrong with the organisation, which we, we ref- refute. 
Um, the department um, had denied us a, a right to respond to that consultant's report and we needed to take legal action to make sure that we did have a right of reply, um, which is only natural and just, I, I would have thought. But um, so that that's happened and we're now in the process of responding on uh, which we've got up until the end of next week to to do. Mm. Um, so we're not out of the, out of the woods, but um, we're we're hoping that the department um, will take on board um, mm. our responses to it, um, recognise what we have done and achieved in the past, including this week winning another award um, for excellence in homelessness um, service provision, particularly to cold communities, diverse mm. communities. Um, which is not something that's easy to, to win or that we were able to mm. buy or anything. Um, so recognising that kind of work that, that, that we do um, and um, agree to work with us on continued funding for our service. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of um, your, your effort in addressing homelessness and getting – and congratulations, though, by the way. That's Thank you. Great, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, Brendan Nottle from the Salvation Army's found the solution to homelessness. He's walking um, – He's um, taking a 700-kilometre, 40-day walk to Canberra from Melbourne. Um, he left last week. Um, that should change things dramatically, I would have thought. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt the man's sincerity. No, no, absolutely. But, but, uh, yeah. but, but you'd think they'd, yeah. they'd, perhaps if they're going to address homelessness, they might, great... they might look at the cause a bit more. Yeah. And good on Brendan for, for dying. No. <laughs> I mean, who, who can imagine? When I heard about it, I... It's very sad for everyone all round because um, it's not as if um, you know Brendan doesn't have the ear to, to government and that government doesn't know. So um, mm-hmm. just get on and build it. Well, in fact, he was also saying we don't want to make this an attack on the Starvation Army, but he was, um, which we just did by saying that, I suspect. <laughs> but he uh, he was the one who was saying, of course, that the homeless should get out of those places that were being occupied here in Collingwood, um, the City Link yeah. places, Bendigo Street, uh, because they were needed for the needy. Um, um, now, since then, they've Looks like they're all being sold. So, what's happened to the needy? Still waiting. <laughs> still, <laughs> right. still, still needy. All, still all needy. And, still, and of course, we commented at the time, and what he was implying was the homeless aren't needy, which is a bit interesting. Yeah, but I, I mean, great that he's going to um, uh, to to the federal government, who are responsible um, primarily for for the homelessness situation at the moment and the housing crisis that we're in, mm. including talking about our young low income come workers that'll be, yeah. you know. The same situation that it, it, it's just going to um, ex- explode the the problem because um, it was the federal government that um, decided to withdraw grants and and has been working for a really long time, probably yeah. thirty years, to to make sure it doesn't provide housing and and mm. puts the responsibility back on everybody else. Mm. Um, so yeah, people, uh, you know, good on you, Brendan, for, for going to. But it, we urge everyone to be really putting it to their federal members of parliament about this. Because it isn't just about you know whether you know the homeless that you know um, chronic homelessness and street, sleeping on the street. I'm sure that every family, ordinary family, has has members that really struggle with with housing, and that housing is the biggest thing in everyone's mind. You know, every mm. family I, I reckon says, if only my kids or you know didn't have to pay high rent, or there's still a time for Christ's sake, <laughs> like, because uh, because they can't rent and they've got casual jobs and. And it is, of course, and has to be an essential public, essential right 
yes. um, to have a roof over your head. Yes. And yet we're in a society where they tell us it's the greatest economic order of them all, which cannot do that. Yeah, mm. so it's appalling. It's just about, and it can be done, and it's about, um, I mean, well, it can had to, well, it can, if, if it, yes, if it, about if, to suck eggs. If it's it a put political, its resources in the right yeah, places, it's a political, it could political, do it, political will, yes. yeah. And, yeah it's, well, and I think, you know, let, let's hope because the housing has never had a, you know, uh, such a um, high-profile agenda before, um, you mm. know, and again, we're working and middle-class people, I, I guess, are talking about it, that it's mm. a great yeah. tragedy. Mm. Interesting, the Herald Sun has bemoaned the fact that all these dreadful refugees are living in housing, expensive housing in Melbourne, uh, April, and they listed the, the their sought-after suburbs, and they listed all these sought-after suburbs, including Hampton Park. Now, unfortunately, on a separate page, one of the most sought-after suburbs in Melbourne, they said, on a separate page they had an article that the highest, the highest area where people were, were unable to keep up their mortgages was Hampton Park, um, which indicated it's one of the poorest areas yeah. of Melbourne. So in the same paper, it was the, it was the poorest and one of the most sought-after. I had a bit of trouble following that one. <laughs> well, I, I also have trouble following. Following where, where the hell that they're talking about that people are actually living apart from if they're being subsidised for periods of time to live in private rental because they're certainly not being allocated public housing. Um, we don't, um, well as far, as far as I know, don't have um, housing linked to immigration anymore as we, we did in the in the past on you know, particularly like areas like Maribyrnong where we used to have specific um, mm. estates dedicated mm. for that when people were transitioning, you know, for up to, to five years, um, you know, whether finding work or, you know, working out housing or, you know, um, being able to access public housing. So I, I just, um, I just, think, I mean, I always just think all that stuff is just mm. lies. Mm. Mm. Oh, because, a big, because there is no housing being built. <laughs> yeah. And we've got rid of all those programs. So apart from pri- private rental, what, what would they be accessing? Yeah. And uh, private rental the same as anybody yeah. else. I'm going to take that as rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so that, no I mean, it's like all the, all the, you know, the vacant, um, yeah, the vacant public housing stock. And as about. we mentioned now, in mm. fact, the big areas, the Murbach and all <clears> the big companies now are talking about building specifically for rent because yes, they can yes. see the trend that yes. people aren't going to be able to... If yeah. you can't afford to buy the house, then we'll rent it to yeah. you and we'll build that. And But they're, they're talking about it, again, purely in terms yeah, of their profit, their yeah, bottom that, lines. That, that, that's right. So and as you say, trend, I mean, if they're the ones that are... I mean, isn't that an alarm bell for, for government? Yeah, if that's the, the trend. <laughs> We've been wound up here by... Uh, Andy, but anything else you wanted to say this week, by the way, that we haven't um, got to, apart from the wonderful honour you got? <laughs> yeah, the wonderful award, the award-winning um, Housing for the Age Action Group. That's two now that, that we've had in two two years for oh, well, excellence in ending homelessness for, for older people, so we are quite quite chuffed about it. <laughs> and, and just glad that um, while our work has been criticised, that it had been recognised. So, um, and sorry I'm saying that, but particularly for... Um, our workers that that have worked really hard and the latest award for the cold communities, um, particularly Gemma White, our project worker, has done an amazing job with that project and it was one where we trained up community leaders across seven different language groups um, to be able to do the presentations that we would do on what people's housing options Mm. are and what they're eligible for. And so all of those were done in people's languages. We um, translated all our material but also, if people needed housing assistance, the project became a referral pathway for, for people to um, to get help because we right. knew that they were always underrepresented. Okay, so, well, look, thanks yep, for that. It. We're going to have to go because because Joe's program <laughs> oh, is uh, coming out of the Unitarian Church. And, and he's, congratulations um, We're going to cross over to, to them. So, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but look, thanks for that. And next no week, um, next week we've got something on. I've got no idea what we've got on next week. Meg, thank, um, thank April and thank Andy. Thanks, and April. It was so you. interesting. Thank Great you. to talk to you. Thanks, Andy. Oh, good. Stellar job as well. <laughs> You're invited to the Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering on the 7th and 8th of October at the Victoria Trades Hall in Nam, Melbourne. Speakers from Latin America, so-called Australia, West Papua, Aotearoa and other communities will come together to share their struggles, setbacks and victories. In two days of speakers, workshops, stalls, music, food, discussion, building bridges and more. The 2017 Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering, October 7th and 8th at the Victoria Trades Hall. While colonialism, capitalism and neoliberalism are global, so is the resistance. For more information, including donations and how to volunteer, email lasnet.solidarity at gmail.com or call 0425 539 149. A 3CR supporter.